1: Mm. And and people don't really change their opinions so much on issues. They change their opinions about the people they disagree with. And and in so many ways, the problem we're really having is that we demonize and vilify each other, not that we disagree.
0: The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country and a good time. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly.
2: Welcome to Village Square Cast. This is Vanessa Rouse. Today we have a very special show for you. Over the summer, when we have less new programming than usual, we're taking this opportunity to do some fun out of the ordinary things on the podcast that we don't get to do during the regular programming year. So today we're airing an episode from one of our favorite podcasts, Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other with host Corey Nathan. And the featured guests are me and Liz Joyner, the Village Square's founder and president. Now, just to put this out there right from the start, I'm like the student in the room here, delightfully soaking up everything that comes out of Corey's and Liz's mouth. You know, Liz is so humble, so she's not going to tell you this herself, so I will. Liz is a brilliant pioneer in the bridge building space, having started the village square 16 years ago, before many of us even realized we had a big problem. Now she teaches our model to bridge building organizations across the nation. I consider her my mentor and the main person responsible for some pretty big mental shifts I've had lately. And here's what's completely fascinating to me. Liz so often will gently throw out a concept or a perspective that I haven't considered before. And I usually have to stretch to see it, or just trust that her insight is correct. And then I'll go away and watch things go on throughout my life. And I see that the thing that she told me about, I watch it play out over and over and over again in the world around me. And so I'll realize she was right. And repeat, repeat, repeat. So I've realized I need to hear from Liz at different points along this journey so I can keep building and growing and seeing things from new perspectives. Now, as for Corey, what a smart and inspirational guy. He has such an interesting background of business successes and personal experiences that have shaped him. And he too recognized that we have a big problem in America And rather than just keep on complaining about it, he decided to do something. Corey Nathan started talking politics and religion without killing each other to take back some of the airspace from the screamers so that we can have respectful and open conversations about politics and religion. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? We obviously love his mission. We love the show. We love hanging out with Corey. And we've realized that we need to amplify each other because we have the same goal of facilitating civil discourse among people who don't look or think alike about those taboo topics of politics and religion. All right, enough from me. Let's get on with it so you can hear directly from Corey and Liz. But real quick, first, let's give a shout out to the Democracy Group for introducing us to Corey. The Democracy Group is a network of podcasts working to understand what's broken in our democracy and how we can all work together to fix it. We're thrilled to be part of the network with so many other awesome shows. And you can check all those out at democracygroup.org. All right, let's get on with the program. Here's Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other with host Corey Nathan.
0: Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. You're home for edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me. We talk about faith and politics and all kinds of topics that really matter in our culture. So if you're tired of all the screamers out there taking all the oxygen out of the room and you want to join us and taking some of that space back, you'll love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan, and I have a huge favor to ask. There's lots of ways you could support what we're doing here. And one of the best ways is to tell one person about talking politics and religion without killing each other. Just one person. One person this Not this week, today. Tell one person today. And it's easier than ever to find us and tell your friends or family about this crazy thing we're doing. We're at politicsandreligion.us. The end is spelled out, politics and religion.us. So as you're going through your phone and texting your aunt tilly or whoever it is that you're going to tell about talk politics and religion about killing each other i will introduce our inspiring encouraging awesome guests that you're also going to want to tell your aunt tilly about <laughs> so liz Joyner and vanessa rouse are with a wonderful organization called the village square you might have already heard me referring to them in a past uh, episode Liz is the founder and CEO, and Vanessa is the podcast producer of their awesome podcast, Village Square Cast. So you can definitely look that up. The Village Square is a nonprofit organization devoted to building vibrant civil dialogue across partisan and ideological divides on matters of local, state, and national importance in communities across America. Founded in Tallahassee, Florida in 2006 after a contentious debate on a local issue, the Village Square builds social civic community in a 21st century revival of the old fashioned American town hall. The Village Square offers a menu of cutting edge civic engagement programs, some of which we'll discuss today, many in partnership with local government. As you often say, the village square is a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that dialogue and disagreement make for a good conversation, a good country and a good time. And that's what we're looking to have today. Vanessa and Liz, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing?
1: We're great. And since we learned about talking politics and religion without killing each other, we've told way more than Aunt Tilly. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Everybody's got that Aunt Tilly or Aunt Sonia or Aunt Phyllis or, you know, one of those, right? So
1: we were we were just so excited with how you described yourself because you you were wading right into the waters that we wade into.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's so cool that we're we're doing this. We've had a couple conversations so far. We've found ways to collaborate. And I look forward to to many years of continuing to collaborate and help each other out. We're definitely in common cause. But I got to say, I, I, I was doing some research on both of you, and it's more difficult than usual to find information on your background. Uh, but I did see, Liz, that you went to UNC Chapel Hill, and I was wondering, is that where you grew up, or did you just leave Florida for a bit to do your undergrad there?
1: <laughs> no, I just kept moving south. Actually, I grew up in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., which I, I think has a lot to do with what brought me to this work. Um, and I've got a short version and a long version of that. And you can just tell me whether you want to hear either one of them. But um, but then I went to UNC Chapel Hill, which is where um, my both my parents went to school and many people, my family and my grandfather taught there. And then I graduated and came to get a master's degree at Florida State. And here I am many years
0: later. Wow. Wait. So your grandfather taught there. So it sounds like you got pretty deep roots in, in North Carolina.
1: Yeah, I, I do. And in fact, um, since it's then, my sister also went there and my um, daughter. So and that's also where I met my husband. So let's just say we're fans.
0: OK. All right. And I think it's today that they're having their prime. We're recording on Tuesday. The uh, what is this? The 17th. So I think they're having their primaries today. So North Carolina is kind of in the news. Got some something going on there. Now, Vanessa, it looks like you've been. Are you a native Floridian?
3: Yes, I was actually born and raised here in Tallahassee, where I still live. I did move away for a little while, just down to St. Pete, but then came back because it's a beautiful city.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, I would love to hear more about how you both initially got interested in civic engagement. You're doing such great work now, but how did that interest first get sparked in both of you? Liz, why don't you start?
1: So, you know, I, I really do think that I've always had I've had a love affair with American democracy for a long time and enough of a love affair that I I try to work on its fault. <laughs> um, and and it, it was part of the experience of growing up in Washington at the time many, many years ago that we kind of knew people on both sides of the aisle. Uh, it wasn't something that kept us away from them. Uh, I think that you feel sort of a sense of agency when you grow up in a hometown like that, because it's your, you know, parent, your friends, parents who are doing the work of the democracy. And so I think that in the past couple of decades, when things seem to just keep getting more and more dysfunctional, I felt some level of responsibility to do something about it. Maybe my level of um, responsibility sort of outstripped my my control and my ability to do something about it, but that didn't seem to stop me. And I just jumped right in.
0: You know, it's an interesting way that you just put that because Vanessa, you just had a conversation with someone. It, it was something along the lines of a hundred coffees. Yes. And he talked about his civic engagement in a really creative way. Do you want to can you so first of all, this is I'm referring to the podcast now. So that that you know, just shameless promotion for the Village Squarecast. But that particular we like
1: that. Yeah.
0: That particular <laughs> conversation was really interesting. Do you remember what I'm referring to, Vanessa? Yes,
3: absolutely. I loved that conversation. It was fantastic. So one of the things that we've heard is um, that people really want to hear a little bit more from the regular person out there who's working to bridge divides in their own lives. And because, you know, so many so often we talk to experts who are telling us, you know, how we should go about this, but then it can be really scary to step outside your box and make it happen. Right. So this is a guy and it happens to be here in our hometown, but what he really happen anywhere and he decided to um, be intentional about connecting with people in person. Cause he saw a lot of the damage that was being done by just relating online. And he, one of the things that he says is that you can't really know someone that way when you're just reading a little snippet online. So, and he's a very social person and uh, he just having coffee dates and having people over for dinner is one of the things that he builds into his life anyway. And so he decided last year to challenge himself to have a hundred coffees with a hundred random people, strangers. He put it out on social media. He's kind of like one of those influencer guys who has a big following of probably a lot of people who don't even, he doesn't know and they don't really know him. And so he gathered all these people who he really did, didn't know. I mean, some, some, he knew a little bit, some he had just heard of and some were total stranger, strangers. And um, he met his goal of 100 by like May and he kept on going and uh, 163 was his official number for the year. And so we had a podcast chat with him where we just talked to him about what he learned during that, how it impacted his life and just kind of some of his um, he called they him and his wife they call them uh, their family rules of how they are more intentional about bringing different diverse people into their lives. And it's just a beautiful story and One of the things that he's shown is that uh, you don't have to follow those typical rules of like, you're on this side or you're on that side. He was given that advice for his business. You know, you can't work for, he does photography and video and he was told you can't work for people on both sides of the aisle. And he said, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Thanks for the warning. And it's worked for him. And so it's just a great inspiring story. I loved that conversation and, We just think he's it's such a great model and could be done anywhere. And if we did more of that in every single community, we'd have a better we'd be living in a better, more uh, loving world.
0: Yeah. More. Well, one of the images that he used was civic engagement is more like taking a bus versus taking an Uber. You know, you can't yes. get a, You can't get picked up right where you're at and get dropped off right where you need to be. You have to kind of go where the bus can go. And then it's not going to get you to exactly where you want to go. So your actual work, you know, who you vote for is going to get you kind of the way there. And you got to take another bus to get another stretch of the way. And then the last bit of it, you actually have to take those steps yourself to get to where to get to work or to get to the coffee shop or get to wherever it is you're going. So if we think I've, I've, I come across a lot of people who are frustrated that they feel like they can't get anything done. And my thought is, well, it's because you're looking at the whole world and trying to solve all the problems of the world all at once. And I don't know, that's just not a way to climb a mountain. You know, it seems cliche, but just having one conversation, one coffee at a time, you know, and saying to yourself, you know, 100 might be ambitious or some, but to say, I'm going to have one coffee a week this year. You know, even if right. it's 50, you take a couple of weeks off throughout the year. But that's still a lot of cups of coffee with people and having real conversations as opposed to firing off a, a mean tweet, you know, here and there. So
3: absolutely.
0: Yeah, that conversation was great. And that's not the only we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the, the podcast. But Liz, I, I did hear you mention that you were in politics before founding Village Square. I, I was curious what kind of campaigns you were on and what roles did you have when you were in politics?
1: So actually, I'd say that my I did a lot of volunteering, but I would say that my main political experience was running the um, a re-election campaign of a local city commissioner. And that actually was related directly to the founding of the village square uh, because and I, I won't ever do that again because I decided <laughs> I didn't really like politics exactly the way it was. But one of the things I found while I was doing it is. Um, is that this commissioner had a very tight group of friends who were extremely politically diverse. And we were running this campaign in the middle of a very contentious public debate where the public conversation on whether we were going to buy into this coal plant was very shallow and somewhat meaningless. And I got to hear the conversations he was having with the people he disagreed with very foundationally. And at, at the time, by watching those conversations, it was just completely obvious, this is the conversation that we ought to be having, where there is real you know, difference of opinion, where they're engaging with each other emphatically, but respectfully, because there were friendships there that, that pre-existed the disagreement. And so really, then we started then to build the Village Square out from those friendships.
0: So that's interesting. So that is that experience. Those were the seeds that planted the idea for what became village square. How did you actually get it off the ground? Like, did you formulate a very specific mission statement, a organizational structure? Like how does something like that actually come into being?
1: Well, you have to be ambitiously um, nuts (laughs) um, (laughs) for one, but.
0: Ambitiously naive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so we we made a tactical de- decision that was, it turns out, really important and and I think it's useful for people who want to do similar things to us. and that is that we decided to build our organization almost like the rings of a tree. And imagine the ring the first the, the smallest ring of that tree is those relationships I just described to you where, they were truly able to have real conversation across disagreement. And so we asked these really, it was five people. Think about people in your network who disagree with you, but you have solid relationships with. And we invited that group of, it was 12 or 15 people in to become our first board of directors. And then we asked that group of people to invite 75 people in again creating, you know, leveraging relationships that existed to become who we call the founders. And then it was, we gathered those people together. And then it was, you know, four or five months later that we had our first public program. And as a result, um, we really did build something that was based on relationships. And that, I don't think that we were really that smart. We just kind of used our gut. And I think what we know all these years later is that um, relationships across disagreement change everything mm. and and people don't really change their opinions so much on issues they change their opinions about the people they disagree with and and in so many ways the problem we're really having is that we demonize and vilify each other not that we disagree because you know democracy is about disagreement the issues we face are complex Um, And so what we need to be doing more of is is seeing the good intention and the humanity in the people that we disagree with.
0: You know, it's a really interesting point. I had an experience last week when there was someone who expressed an opinion that I disagreed with, frankly. And uh, not only that, he expressed it in a way that I thought was not productive uh he it was about abortion as you can imagine and he the the kind of language that he uses is um along the lines of like baby killers and and stuff like that so i really disagreed with that but because of that language he got kicked off of a board of directors uh and for the next several days was just completely ostracized very publicly uh not, not just on the group chat that that we have but on, you know, numerous other platforms. So at a certain point, I, I, I don't know if I clarified the fact that I disagreed with his point of view or certainly disagreed with how he engaged, but I just expressed sympathy for what the guy was going through. Like he's already yeah. been kicked off the board, you know, he, he's already, but can we like show like the way to address um, what we see as hateful behavior is not by meeting it with more hateful behavior. And man, just by saying that, what happened was folks were looking for something in me that they could take the data points that they needed to construct this straw man that they could then go ahead and attack.
1: That's exactly right. That that it, boy, you just described our whole political and civic environment in one story.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and it's not, it's not that it's not, and I hate to use the word one side. Because there' I, I don't know, I just find this side, the other side is a really insufficient way of describing our body politic or or all the different individuals that make up our uh, our village square if you that that are populating our village square, if you will. So I, I don't even like to use that language, but it's not this is a proclivity that any number of people from any number of viewpoints, um, they deploy these sorts of tactics. It makes it easier to really attack someone and really be vicious, like hatefully vicious. If you can, if you can, um the word you used was, was dehumanize. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a, it's a disease and to bring it back to village square, I think that's, it's, Something along those lines is exactly what we wanted to address with TPNR, but you're you're 14, excuse me, 16, almost 16 years into it now, Liz? We are. We are. So this is not anything, this is not a new, but it's, you're very clear on this very thing. What are some of the ways, oh, wait, you know what? Before I ask you about all the different things that Village Square does, I have, this is just out of curiosity, Vanessa and Liz, do you remember the first time that you met each other?
3: The first time. Oh, I remember the meeting that led to all this, but I had met you before. I just hadn't really hung out with you. So as far as the very first, first time, no, do you?
1: I don't think I do. Um, although. So one of the things about Tallahassee as a community is that we, we tease that we're um, two degrees of separation, like not the normal six and Kevin Bacon, but two. <laughs> and so Actually, after we got this big idea about doing the Village Square with the city commissioner who I, um, who I worked for, the first people we came to were actually Vanessa's dad and her stepmom. They were the very first meeting we took. Oh, wow. And, and it was many years later that Vanessa and I had a meeting. We talked about podcasting, I think, was it?
3: Yes, we were, you guys were doing the year of living locally was the theme for that year. And
1: we that should, was like four years ago, I think.
3: Right. The, the Village Square has a theme around the programming for any given year. And I had started a local podcast as a hobby. And uh, it was all about supporting our local community and getting to know people in our local community. And so we had a coffee date. And that led to me doing some part-time work for you on membership. And that's how I kind of got my foot in the door with the village square. And that was right when COVID started, it was March, 2020. And then what partly what led to the, uh, what led to the podcast is that, you know, the village square brings large groups of people together to have a meal and talk about things not a good covid related strategy. <laughs> right, that wasn't going to happen so much for a while and so the podcast is one of the things I you know I had just learned how to do podcasting and oh my goodness the village square had years and years worth of uh programs recorded that are just like mind-blowingly relevant today and so we started off with some of those kind of evergreen must-hear signature programs. And then now we're doing the current stuff, you know, everything that's happening uh, right now that we like the program that's coming
1: out this week was happened a week ago. So we put everything out on the podcast. Also, fun fact, Vanessa, Vanessa lives on my regular evening walk, just really right, you know, five minutes from me. And we didn't know each other because of that either. So.
0: Oh, wow. So Vanessa, were you so you were aware of the Village Square? And you you specifically wanted to get involved somehow.
3: I was definitely aware of the Village Square. I've been to a couple of events, but I'll have to be honest and say that this kind of uh, this amazing, like what I consider a total dream job just fell in my lap. I describe myself as a person who a regular person living in this country who had absolutely no idea how much room I had to grow in this space. And so I hope that what comes across in the podcast, you know, I, I open and close the show and most of the episode aside from about five, where I'm interviewing the person, um, most of the episodes are the programs that we air and we rotate through facilitators. We find the, the right facilitator to tackle any, the given topic. So it's not the same person. And so anyway, I open and close the show, but generally it's somebody else hosting the conversation. And I hope that it comes across in the podcast that I'm embracing this regular person on this journey. And I have grown along the way. I've had a crash course in everything Village Square because it's over 50 programs now in two years. And so I think it it has got to be impossible to not have incredible growth when you're given all of this incredible information and this whole learning process. It's been amazing. It's really changed me in big ways and I could not be happier. I'm like Village Square's number one cheerleader because I get to enjoy and grow from everything that uh, the the hard work of the programs that, you know, get produced here.
0: So, Liz, the first time that Vanessa mentioned doing a podcast, were you excited or was it more of an eye roll? Oh, geez, another podcast.
1: (laughs) No, I was excited. This has been one of the best collaborations I've ever had. It's super easy and lovely.
0: Oh, good. Now, if you like talking politics, and I know you do, what we're doing, what the Village Square is doing, you should be listening to another insightful podcast, one that digs into political and cultural polarization. And that's the Purple Principle. Recent guests on the show range from HBO's Veep showrunner David Mandel to Republican Accountability Project founder Sarah Longwell, Michael Smirkanish, one of my favorites from CNN and Monica Guzman of Braver Angels. In interviews with scientists and authors, legislators and citizen changemakers, host Robert Pease exposes the traps of our two-party system and showcases solutions to bridge our widening divide. Season three takes us on a tour of partisanship at the state level with a seven-part miniseries on Texas politics and an upcoming episode on gerrymandering, voter rights, in the fiercely contested elections in Georgia. The Purple Principle is a podcast about the perils of polarization and the virtues of moderation, which is why I love them so much. They're right up our alley. Be sure to look up the Purple Principle to subscribe and visit purpleprinciple.com for more. And Principle is P-L-E, not (laughs) P-A-L. So just so you can find them really easily, purpleprinciple.com. Check them out. I love them and I know you will too. Well, so you were mentioning before we hit record, you were mentioning that there's a really important special program that you're going to be holding in a few days. And I think you said the podcast of it will come out on June 2nd. Why, why don't yes. you tell us about uh, about that that conversation you all be having?
1: So the program is a part of our series, UNAM Democracy Reignited, that will continue again in the fall. It's called Majority Minority, and it's with Dr. Justin Guest of George Mason University, and he has written a book that is extraordinary about how we can manage um, sort of, to, be, to become one again and embrace our differences and our similarities and what we have common at a time when it seems like we're having just increased difficulty doing that. And uh, I, I, we actually had Dr. Guest in Tallahassee five years back, and he wrote a book about the demographic changes that were um, changing the way that white working class voters were seeing America, uh, you know, essentially right after President Trump was elected. And we think that he's, you know, really an extraordinary voice and um, and Sherpa in our journey to stretch towards each other.
0: Oh, that's an interesting way to put it, a Sherpa. I like that. I would imagine, wow, so that was five years ago. I'm curious how challenging it's been or how the climate has changed in such a way to do what you're doing. Is it harder to do now than it was, say, five, six years ago?
1: Harder to do. Absolutely. Um, and, And actually, I was sort of thinking of this model when you were talking about um, the gentleman who maybe used bad wording and, and all of a sudden it just sucked people into the camps. Um, and this is this is work done by a gentleman named Peter Coleman. And he just wrote a book called The Way Out, which I really recommend to your listeners. It, it is is really an important book in understanding how, how, the way out. Um, and one of the things that he talks about is that we're in this high energy state where every little thing anyone says is complexified and magnified and we're all afraid to say words. and, And he's even got like this graphic where it almost looks like the static on an old television set. And we're constantly operating in that high energy environment and it's extremely difficult on human beings. And so in some ways what we want is we want a lower energy environment where we can rest, where things are a little bit easier. And so there's this magnetic pull towards that simplification of us versus them. And so it, it reminded me of that model when you were talking about how, you know, people just then plunked you into an us versus them dynamic and I, I think in some ways it's the, you know, it's all, it's our conflict, it's the complexity of our modern society, it's the fact that we're deluged with information, um, social media, et cetera, that we want less, you, we want to rest, right? And so I think in some ways the the years between, you know, in the last five years, we've seen that people just want to rest and us and them is way easier, Right who you're against is super simple um you know they're it's they're easy to to make two-dimensional in that binary and then you can feel really great about yourself because you're in the side of good of course um it, uh, nobody is on the side of evil and uh, and i think that we rinse and repeat that dynamic over and over and over again and as a result, you know, we have to work harder to engage people now than we used to, in certain ways. And so, I'm often very just grateful for the fact that that I think what we've built is really durable, and it's really grounded in the community. and And I think if it weren't, it it might be, um, you know, even harder to do now.
0: So, just for our listeners, um, Villa Square does all these huge public events, and as a I have a background in producing. So I have questions about the practical, like how you actually put it together. But I wanted our listeners to know that there are panel discussions with prominent figures in the community, elected officials, faith leaders, all kinds of interesting folks. And there's other events like setting up 100 tables and chairs in the middle of a downtown street for folks of different backgrounds uh, to have to have more civil conversations. So. I'd actually just like to know, number one, how you do it. How do you convince such impressive speakers to do these events? And how are you able to get folks to show up, fill an auditorium or or tables in a downtown street or, you know, uh, just, you know, coffee shop or a bar from. So just tell me soup to nuts. How how do you how do you how does it all get done?
1: (laughs) Starts with Liz not sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of like um, hosting 25 weddings a year for your listeners who have who have had a wedding. <laughs> um, it's it's a lot like that um, because you want it to be a wonderful, warm, welcoming environment. And we always have food. That's actually a really important part of the model because if you break bread with people and look them in their eyes, it's awfully hard to hate them. And just as a side note, if you ever uh, decide you want to do an event that has 100 tables, End to end to end they're very hard to keep straight so <laughs> decide that you, you want to have a system maybe a plumb line masking tape or something before you do it but so, somehow they figured that out too so um, let's see what else about the events. you know so so I actually described that what we do is not as hard as you think if we can get, the diversity of the humans into the room, that that is by far the hardest part of it in this environment. And the reason it's not as hard as you think is I do think that humans have this wonderful, you know, so we're we're sort of groupish and we get really angry at our outgroups. And so that's one of the, the sort of downsides of human nature. But we humans have this wonderful capacity to be able to to be able to see humanity in people that we really interact with. And think of the interactions you've had that are human to human rather than digital. And they almost always come out pretty well. You usually can find something that you relate to in other human beings. And you're also reciprocal about if somebody shows you a kindness, then you want to give it back to them. So I think you see human beings at their very best when, when you gather together What the trick is, is in this environment, it's really impossible to, you know, in some ways, almost by definition, if group A is attending, group B doesn't want to. And so that is the hardest part. And to do that, we we tend to lean into really close relationships we have with a very diverse group of people who care about the village square. And so we all sort of narrow cast out to harder to reach groups to be able to get that diversity into the room or onto the street, whichever the case may be.
0: That's the most compelling part to me because uh, I have been in situations where I have uttered what sounded like contrarian points of view, but looking back, it wasn't even contrarian points of view. It was just uh, one incident in particular got really heated, auditorium full of people. And I asked a question of, like, who are we? <laughs> you know, I, there was a speaker that I just, I, I thought was just incredibly offensive. Um, and it didn't really have to do with who we were. It was, a, my, my kids went to a Christian school. Like, what does this have to do with Christian classical education? You know, you have a speaker from, uh, who grew up in um, Eastern Europe and, you know, okay. So talk about that experience, maybe growing up in a socialist country or um, whatever it was. But her whole talk was about Barack Hussein Obama, you know, and she mentioned the middle name, of course, And her theories about the fact that he's probably a Muslim, probably a terrorist, probably a Marxist, probably this, all these things that, by the way, you know, just couldn't all be the same true at the same time. But I just got up and I, I didn't even object to what she was talking about. You know, the community definitely skewed in one way, politically and socially. But I just got up and I said, who are we? and what does this have to do with classical Christian education? So I didn't push back on the speaker so much as just like ask that question. And man, I got screamed out of that room. I got shouted down from the back of the room and it, it was, it was an ugly situation, but I was curious because you do bring people from different viewpoints together, you know, at at conversations, panel discussions at a coffee shop or a bar, do you help set the rules of the road so that the conversation doesn't devolve into like a Tallahassee version of uh, what was that guy? Morton Downey Jr.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There have been a few moments where (laughs) we've sort of skated along that edge. Yeah. So so I think that. Maybe the best example of this is our local color program, which is specifically Intended to draw in a young and uh, racially diverse audience, and we meet in a nightclub. And there's, you know, it's kind of packed, and we want that, so 130 people or so in the room. And we start with a list of of rules, and we kind of tease a little bit that that it's very long list <laughs> of rules, and so we try to have fun with um, sharing them. And, you know, it starts with, with, we're not to, we're not here to agree. We're here to disagree and keep talking. And it continues on through, you know, give a little undeserved favor to that other human who um, you, you disagree with. And it finishes off with what happens at local color stays at local color. Cause we like to create kind of a a safe environment for talking. And then we proceed to have a conversation about the most challenging things in a room full of people. And almost always it it turns out better than you think it's gonna. Mm.
0: And so I, I'm really impressed with how much you actually do uh, the, the organization as a whole and you in particular, Liz. So I wanted to, as sort of as a, a test flight, I wanted to see what do we disagree about and how can we talk about it productively? <laughs> so I, I don't know what it is. I don't really have anything that I, I don't know because we the more we've talked, the more I realize that we probably can agree on a lot more than we disagree. But I don't know. I'd really just be fishing for something to find. But what do yeah, you think? Yeah, actually
1: for whatever it's worth, I actually think almost everyone agrees on a lot more than they realize they disagree on. It's just that they don't agree. They don't agree if you boil it down to a soundbite. But then if you expand it out uh, to a paragraph, there's more agreement than we think. And I would even say on topics like, you know, abortion is obviously an incredibly difficult topic to navigate right now. And I'm betting that you and I don't agree on the soundbite version of it. But I also bet we agree on the paragraph version.
0: Yeah. So, okay. so. I was asked about that about a year ago and I couldn't really answer in a soundbite, you know, because my first thought is, first of all, I, I have not personally been in that situation. I obviously as a, I'm not a woman. So that's, that's number one. So I, I don't feel like I should be taking the lead in that conversation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then it gets to, uh, I, you know, someone has sort of exhorted me. It's like, I'm, how do you call it? Like pro-choice. If you're pro-choice, like completely, I I forgot even the phrase that's used for the rights.
1: Abortion on demand is what, that, what they call it.
0: Yeah. But I I think even saying it that way uh, sort of skews that, that view when you're talking about the rights of a woman's to determine, you know, what's happening to her own body, you know, that's, that's one way to discuss it, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not completely, If that's what pro-choice is, I don't know if I'm completely pro-choice because I've heard about some legislation that, frankly, I would be in favor of, you know, then again, this guy that came out and said, well, you're killing babies as soon as, you know, the thing. And, you know, I I don't know. My brother had an interesting, um, he had an interesting point. He said, listen, we've had, we've been around our family members' deathbeds uh, on a couple of occasions. That is a very, very personal thing it's a, it's a, it's a family decision. There's, you know, typically one person who's sort of taking the lead because it's going to affect them the most, you know, in the case of my grandfather, it was my grandmother. Um, but also in terms of when, like we had to decide as a family, mostly my Baba, my grandmother went to pull the plug and it was simply, there's no heartbeat and there's no brain activity. So my brother said, well, you know, and he's, he'd probably be described as more uh, progressive than me, although we're both pretty centrist. He said, well, maybe that's a way to identify when life begins. You know, so I don't know. I mean, I haven't decided exactly where that line would be for me, but I'm not purely pro like purely life. It starts at conception and purely, you know, through yeah. the ninth month kind of a thing. So I don't know. That's that's maybe one area. I th- th- so disagree. I think
1: most Americans are, are somewhere in there. Uh, you know, 80% would agree that, we don't want to go all one way or all the other. And that we're being, we're in a political environment where they, you know, the first casualty is nuance, right? Yeah. For for a really complicated thing that requires nuance. And and that's, you know, and then duplicate that across every controversial issue. And you realize that some ways we're kind of being played by the conflict entrepreneurs, which is a term that Amanda Ripley used in her book High Conflict. And we're being played because you know there are certain things they gain out of it, right? Whether it's viewership, listenership, being elected to an office by polarizing against us against us, very very few people on the edges are all or nothing on, on abortion or really anything else.
0: So Is that part of what the village square is all about To Because I I feel like it's not okay to voice an opinion that does have nuance. You know, if if I started to speak about that, I might be shouted down by a well-meaning friend who's like, no, 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 you're a dude. So you don't get to have a say in this thing or my body, my choice, like slogans, like you said, and like, it, it just kind of shuts down any conversations, but I do find whether it's abortion or guns or immigration or any of these heated issues that when you actually, I had a great conversation with uh, uh, former Congressman Joe Walsh and we talked about guns and immigration and he and I probably vote differently on actual legislation, but when we really started to talk about it, we found out that the pri- our actual values and our actual priorities are very, we start out at very similar places Now, we end up voting differently, but that's kind of what democracy is. You know, we value a lot of the same things, you know? Yes. So interesting stuff. That's
1: exactly right. And in this digital environment where there's lots of angry ammo launched back and forth, we lose that notion. And also, I do think that there is a fair amount of, I guess, if you feel like you're at war, then one of the most important things to you is loyalty. And so I think that some of the people who get punished the most in this environment are people who are on, you know, are inside of a camp who, who create nuance, right? And who suggest alternative ideas and approaches, again, back to your story, is those are the people that get whacked at. Um, pretty hard. And it, you know, it's to enforce that sort of sense of this us that's against them.
0: Okay. So you bring up a couple interesting points just within that comment. Are there people that you realize, you know what, we can't, we can't invite that person or um, I see what that person's all about. And we just can't include that person because then nobody else, it'll kind of take all the oxygen out of a room you know, as as Pete Weiner would describe it, there's some folks you just can't reach. Uh, so how would you maybe define that?
1: All the time. And Pete Weiner is a favorite of ours too. I'd forgotten that you had
0: yeah. had him
1: on. He's yeah. fabulous. He's been to Tallahassee um, to speak with
0: us. Oh man, he's the best. I, I love him.
1: He is the best. So so all the time. And the way we do it may be a little different. It, it's not really singling out individuals so much for being angry or hard over it's more that if you make your living on this disagreement we we really just don't invite you because Mm -hmm. in because in some way because what we want is we want to invite a liberal in who when the conservatives in the audience leave for the evening they say you know I kind of like them. And I think that they made some pretty good points. And I, I don't really agree with this and this, but, wow, well, I thought that that was sort of an interesting thing to think about and then vice versa, right? So we want to create those sort of cross-cutting currents that work against those binaries that are too overly clear in this particular environment. And so we find that that by softening people's hearts that that's what creates the movement. So that's why we don't invite, you know, uh, there, it's actually a pretty large list of people that we just don't go that direction. And in fact, when we do create panels, like I, I'm thinking back on when we did um, Vanessa, we've done. Do we do the immigration program on the podcast yet?
3: Yes. Wait, uh, Maybe not. I'm it's, it's kind of fun when you've done enough podcasts and you can't remember. But. <laughs> right. It came, well, it came up in Order Chaos and Homo Sapiens, but that wasn't the main talk. But there yeah, was, of that one on immigration.
1: So the way we build our panels for programs that are particularly controversial, especially is, you know, during the rise of the Tea Party, we were doing a program on immigration and that was that was sort of the issue that was creating town hall disturbances and and really angry uprisings. And we were worried about how we could have this conversation without it going south. And so we um, we knew that the facilitator was going to be a liberal leaning rabbi who was on our board of directors, liberal on um, on immigration And so basically, the first thing we think about, again, is kind of the way that we began is let's think of someone who you have a relationship with who disagrees with you on this issue. And we thought and thought and we finally came up with um, uh, Marco Rubio's general counsel at the time was in the rabbi's fantasy baseball league.
0: Oh, perfect.
1: Senator Rubio was a state senator. So, you know, they were here in town for a while and we just thought yeah you know what um people who do fantasy baseball together they're going to be able to have this conversation we were right and after we had that create that relationship glue created then we knew we could do anything with that panel that we could have a lot of diversity of opinion um and maybe even some heart kind of hard over people and we'd be fine
0: yeah
3: and to clarify real fast, when, when we keep talking about invite, 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 she's talking about um how how they make up the panel. So there you could come be in the audience with your, you know, more more firm beliefs and more more extreme or more, you know. But when it comes to the panel, that's where it becomes really important.
0: Yeah. But no, I can even see that. I mean, just over these last two or three years, seeing folks show up to town council or city council meetings or board of ad meetings and really just shut those things down by hostility, you know, and, and it's um, it's, it's too bad. It's too bad that this cancer has metastasized into all different kinds of uh, community events like that. But, but there is a, there is a cure, (laughs) I would say the village square. And uh, I, I do think I'm giving you, you guys lots of props deservedly. So, But I I do think that there is a growing ecosystem. It's not necessarily reflected in Congress yet, but I do think at the very least in terms of independent media and independent organizations, nonprofits like yours. And that can only continue to swell and then begin to be reflected perhaps in city council uh, in our representation on the city council, and representation at the state assembly and state senate level, um, local, state, and then eventually in our U.S. representatives as well. Uh, maybe I'm being uh, maybe I'm being naive now, but that that's where I see things going.
1: So, can I actually blather on about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, because I completely agree. So, you and I are not going to disagree on this. There, when we started, there were maybe a handful of organizations that did this work. You know, uh, Ten, maybe. Um, I'm now a part of two organizations that have four to five hundred organizations that do do the kind of work um, that we do, and and then you know the 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 space is opening up in the same way in terms of you know digital content and podcasts, and I think this is. I am sentimental about sort of the the um, Tocqueville. You know, Americans are always forming associations, and that that was just something so new when he came to America. And I really think of this as being Tocqueville 2.0. That that you know, we we Americans, our average Americans, are rolling up their sleeves and going, you know what? This can't stand. And I mean, and I think. I think you're an example of that, Corey. And I think Vanessa's an example of that. And there, and there are people all over the country who are stopping their regular lives and doing something to be, you know, part of the sum of light instead of the sum of darkness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did see, I think it was 2014, that a town just uh, 30 minutes away from me, up Route 14, uh, Palmdale, won a Village Square Award. They got a grant. <laughs> I'm like, wow, those are my neighbors, right? Just right up the street. Small world. Yeah. So it gave me some hope that maybe there'll be a Village Square Castaic or Village Square Santa Clarita or something like that. So, yeah, I
1: learned (laughs) a lot about Palmdale. It was fun to learn about their community.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you said something that really interesting that when it's all about, you know, in the fight, the us versus them thing, then you can justify all kinds of nonsense.
1: There's a lot of good intention that can run amok in sort of group dynamics. And so that's why I'm, I'm always really worried about it when we when we I think sometimes push people away um, that we cla- over classify them and over demonize them and put them in a box when they really might be somebody who, you know, we can um, reach. And and I'm finding myself, you know, you all talking about um. To sort of how the the anger at politicians, can you imagine if left and right, uh, American citizens were just kind of done with that, right? And said, you know what, if you want to reach us, we want you to say something of more substance than just, you know, the school ground bullying that we seem to be doing for the other side of the aisle. Think of how powerful that could be.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, we have these, memories that that really stand out in our minds that are now, you know, almost 15 years ago, like when John McCain corrected that lady, you know, who said, isn't he an Arab? No, he's 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 an American. He's a good man. He's a good family man. We happen to disagree on some things. And that is such a powerful moment.
1: It is so powerful. And it's when we're at our best. Yeah. And and I really think that we are a people down deep inside that, ca- that captures us really well, and we just need to find our way back to it.
0: Yeah. All right, so I- I've already taken up a lot of your time, but I feel like we could be doing this on a regular basis. There's plenty to talk about. But for now, I only have two more questions. And one is, you get to turn the tables on me. Do you have any questions for me?
1: I would love to know, what about this experience that you've had so far on your podcast has been a surprise? Something that you found that you didn't expect to find or something you were looking for that you haven't found? Just what are what are kind of the surprises?
0: Well, one of the biggest, most pleasant surprises is the way Vanessa, you know, you, you described yourself. I very much describe myself that way. I, I, I'm just a regular guy. You know, I, I've, you know, started some businesses and I have some experience in entertainment, and producing and the arts and all this stuff. But I, I am not someone from politics. I am not someone from journalism. I am not someone from any of these worlds. So for a regular guy like me to reach out, the first person that was high profile that responded to me was Julie Mason. And she's just great. She loves great journalism. She she really celebrates great journalists. Uh, she has a program on, on uh, XM. Uh, on the POTUS channel on XM or serious XM, I guess I should say. And just when Julie responded to me and said, Yeah, that sounds like fun. I'm like, Wait, d- really? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like instead of like the ego filled, like, Don't you know who I am? He was like, Don't you know who I am? I'm like a nobody. And she's like, No, that'll be great. <laughs> and then one person after another, you know, like, Rick Wilson, we had him on a couple of weeks ago. It was awesome. Pete or Will Salatan, or, or these great academics. Candace Benbow, Red Lip Theology. Oh, she's the future of Christian theology. Um, Lisa Sharon Harper, uh, her work, uh, her history work of the history of race in our country. And she did it through her own family, through the lens of doing research on the history of her own family and how her own family was affected by the history like, it just blows my mind when I reach out kind of blindly to these world-renowned academics or faith leaders or elected officials. We're, we're going to have Governor Christine Todd Whitman on in, in a couple of weeks. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, man. So, like, the fact when they get back to me, I'm like, I'm still just, that's been the biggest surprise. But also, the conversations that we have, uh, it have been enriching and human and you know, it's kind of what what you do with the village square, because at the end of the day, yes, this person has accomplished a great deal. Uh, she was governor and then she was on a, uh, on the cabinet and a cabinet secretary. But at the end of the day, she's a human being. You know, Pete Wayner, this renowned author and, and prolific writer. He's such an interesting, curious human being with just wonderful uh, virtues. So I think that has been the most encouraging and surprising thing that I, that has occurred to me through doing this thing. That's very cool. Yeah. Did you have any, Vanessa, you look like you had one.
3: Yeah, I do have a question. And so I have a comment um, about something you guys were talking about earlier, and then I promise it'll work into a question, but um, so related to your experience about uh, the person who uh, was kicked off the board regarding the ab- abortion issue. And then also your experience in the church or at your kid's school, Uh, those, both of those things. Um, So Jonathan Haidt talks about this a lot in the book, uh, the coddling of the American mind. And he particularly talks about what's happening on college campuses, Mm. faculty with professors there and about how scary it is. And to basically when somebody comes out with a counter opinion, often just counter to the students, then they are no one is stepping up to support them publicly. They may occasionally hear something privately that's like, Hey, I support you, blah blah blah, but like we're keeping this on the down low. And so, the fact that people aren't in the practice of showing up to publicly uh, support the person who's speaking out against the count, the common opinion, or whatever common opinion in the group, I should say. Then that's this whole cancel culture thing, right? They're going to get canceled too. J- exactly what was trying to happen to people were trying to do to you when you supported this guy, or at least you weren't you weren't sharing his opinion, but you were trying to kind of bring the temperature down. Well, suddenly you're the bad guy too. Going to take you down too. Yeah, exactly. And so that that fear and this whole culture, this whole cancel culture, is keeping so many people silent. So, and I know you guys know this, but it's like those extreme voices are taking up the space. Exactly what you talk about on your show, on your, the intro for your show. And so it's, I feel like it's making it seem like we're so much more divided because there's so many of us that are silent. And so I commend you for standing up and speaking up for this person, you know, it's for good reason. It's, not happening a whole lot these days. And so um, I wanted to bring up this one experience that we have with a guest that's sort of related who actually got canceled. He was on a show, it was called Order, Chaos, and Homo Sapiens. And one topic in that program was immigration. And he has kind of an unusual perspective on immigration. And another thing that he mentioned during the program was He if he was elected to an office or something, not that he's running, but he would be the party of I don't know, because he would because at this point when you're running or just him as a guy, he doesn't have the answers for everything. He hasn't investigated at all. And so he would get to the table and figure it out. And uh, and so I thought that was just really remarkable. And we don't have we don't allow the space for that in our politics. Right. But so then for that guy. Who's you know humble and willing to explore all the options out there for him to a couple of years later get canceled and he got fired
1: mm. the job, right, Liz? He, he he lost his tenure track position. He had just graduated and gotten his PhD. He was on the tenure track. He lost that position. He's no longer an academic. Good, wow. good, good, decent guy. Thoughtful, humble, intellectually, as Vanessa described. So smart. Yeah. When you when you spend enough time in the space, you start seeing stories like that, you know, of people who I don't think his politics and mine are very similar, but it just it, he's got to be able to have an opinion. Right. 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 That's what makes us. Free people is we get to have opinions and we can share them and we can be influenced by each other and at the end of the day then we maybe solve problems in a little bit of a better way because we've had all sorts of um, brains on them and yet that we 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 can't do that for each other right now. Yeah, right.
0: That sounds like a case that David French would take all the way to the Supreme Court if he had to because it just there's something about that that really is broken. Where just having, not even having an opinion, but like trying to think through an opinion, think through a point of view, gets you in trouble. To the point of view that you lose everything that way, you know. Right. So.
3: So my question for you is this: Being in a public space in this environment where we can be public uh, punished if we talk about an unpopular viewpoint. Does that hold you back? Are there topics you won't address on your podcast because you don't, you aren't comfortable talking about it?
0: Yeah. So it's a great question. I I had a conversation this morning with somebody about this very thing and I'm still kind of, it's it's like a, a wave in the ocean that I just continue to try to get back on and, and, and ride. As soon as I say, and I'll fall off the board too. You know, like there are tweets that I've deleted because I, I was just like, okay, enough. This is just enough abuse. I got to take this down and take myself out of the situation. You know, there have been Facebook posts. Um, about six months ago, I posted, not in agreement with Dave Chappelle's special, but in agreement with, uh, I forgot his name, the the, own, the head of Netflix's decision, uh, to leave his special up, and I also agreed, even though I, I was like cringing throughout the special, I agreed with Dave Chappelle's right to free expression. I eventually had to take that that post down because too many of my friends they said flat out there were a couple po- a couple comments that said flat out you're you know tangentially advocating for violence against trans people. I said that's specifically not what I'm advocating for, uh, but you know let's talk about it. And the sad thing is, to your point, like there were about 25 comments already, 23 of which were very productive. Like, hey, man, have you ever seen this documentary? Maybe you just don't know. And, and like it, there were people like pointing me in different directions and wanted to, to engage very productively. But there were two people in particular on there, one of whom I really love. Uh, she's a wonderful person, but she got really heated about it. And then um, these two people basically dominated the entire conversation. And it, it's really, it was really depressing for me you know one person I, I don't give a lot of credence to he he just immediately went to the white male privilege card and i'm like dude if you knew my family story you like just i've had enough of that like just stop like when, when you're one generation removed from half your you know half your family of being eviscerated in the holocaust i don't have a ton of time for somebody like putting me in this box as if i i you know was descended from english royalty like
1: isn't it amazing how we seem to be able to make so many assumptions about people that are so superficial and so unbelievably wrong yeah and yet we do it all the time now
0: yeah so i i mean stuff like to answer your question like i i have deleted tweets i have Taking posts down. That one I didn't take down. I put it into a private part of Facebook because I did want to continue having conversations with certain people about it, and I learned a lot uh, from from those more productive conversations. But I needed to curate those conversations. I needed to curate who I was interacting with because, frankly, like I got to watch my mental health too. Uh, But every time I say I just can't do it anymore, I dive right back in. (laughs) I I get beat up, you know, and I I learn something new and. I don't know. Every time I think that I just, I don't want to wade into those waters. I just dive head first. So
3: <laughs> oh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. 100%. I think you should keep on rocking it. And I love that you're so positive and your smile, I feel like comes through to the listeners, even when they're not looking at your face, you just like present such joy when you're talking about these very challenging topics and I think that's rare so keep doing what you're doing.
0: Well, I really love talking about it and I really love talking talking about these issues, but more to the point is kind of going to what Liz asked. I love talking about it with people like you. I love I genuinely do. I'm not saying that, you know, to blow smoke. I just genuinely enjoy getting to know people on a one-on-one level through sometimes through our differences, across our differences. Uh, But these these conversations are so important to have. And we can't let the screamers take over the conversations.
1: Agree completely. There's so many more out there than we understand. And we just need you, Corey, to talk to all three hundred and twenty five million of us. (laughs) And then I think we'll be good.
0: All right. Sounds good. I'll, I'll one one person at a time. I'll, I'll report back to you when uh, I'm about a hundred million through.
1: <laughs> yeah. And actually, could we request now to be on your three hundred and twenty fifth million
0: episode? <laughs> You'll be at the party. Yeah, it'll be. a party. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: If we actually actually I wanted to tell you we retweeted you yesterday and I wanted to read what we retweeted because I thought it was just so wonderful and so in line with that, your smile and your heart. I won't be a part of a movement or cause that demands I express hatred for anyone outside that cause. And it, it just really um, impressed upon me that it's just such a clear statement of a moral compass that, boy, do we need more of that.
0: Oh, man, that's, that's really encouraging. I appreciate that. So before we take off, can you let people know how we can find you, the Village Square, the podcast, of course, and all the great work that you're doing?
1: Well, so I'll do the Village Square part and Vanessa can do the podcast part. So they can find us online at tlh.villagesquare.us. And um, we're, we're now expanding to um, new locations. And so we hope that the fact that you're not in Tallahassee, Florida will not keep you from contacting us. And Vanessa, over to you. Yes. So for the podcast, you can
3: find Village Squarecast on any of the major podcast platforms or on the website also, Villagesquare.us. And I just love how we say Village square, Villagesquare.us. And I love that U.S. because, you know, here we are in America fighting for democracy here. But you, Corey, say us. And I love that, too, because it's really about us all coming together, right?
0: I learned that from Lisa Sharon Harper, actually, because her organization is a dot us. So we we started adapting, you know, using that way to to describe our our URL. So because it is about us, isn't it? It's about all of us. Right.
1: We're going to steal that now. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. I love it. I love it. That's what Pete Seeger said. uh, Somebody said, hey, Pete, I think that guy stole a song from you. He goes, he might be stealing from me, but I steal from everybody. So generously steal well. No, uh, so it
1: makes us all cumulatively smarter, right? Yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. So I really appreciated this conversation. I hope that this is far from the last time. I hope that I you you all, welcome to SoCal. I'll introduce you to some great sushi. I'll have to go to Tallahassee and, I don't know, introduce me to some barbecue alligator or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, alligator, no. Barbecue, yes.
0: Okay. All right. Fair enough. I can Fair also enough.
1: introduce you to my polydactyl Hemingway cat who decided in the middle of this interview, keeping with the theme my husband set, of seeing how he can make noise outside of the room, she came in and decided she wanted to open some cabinets.
0: Okay. So.
1: And with like an opposable thumb she can
0: oh that's awesome wow yeah well thanks again for doing this it's been a pleasure hanging out with you and uh yeah i hope to do it again soon and i'll include those um urls in the uh in the show notes for for everybody all right so as always if you dig what we're doing here please hit that subscribe button leave a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend like i was saying at the beginning tell a friend about tpnr tell a friend about village square and the village square cast we're easier to recommend than ever it's politics and religion.us politics and and you can even support our program through the patron app on our site now go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect and have a great week thank you for joining us today if you dig what we're doing here it is super easy to follow us You can go to our site, politicsandreligion.us. That's what the N spelled out, A-N-D, politicsandreligion.us. And we're on all the socials, at tpandrpod. You know, tpandrpod for talking politics and religion pod. And here's a big way you can support us, by becoming one of our patrons. You can even become a producer or executive producer of our program and have a lot more say in who we bring on, the kinds of questions we explore. Or just help us keep the lights on. But mostly, we really appreciate you giving us a listen. So for the whole team here at Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Democracy Group. If you want more podcasts like this, then visit democracygroup.org. There you will find our events, topics, and a newsletter as well. So head on over to democracygroup.org.